Welcome to Liquid Church Audio. The message you're about to enjoy was originally delivered live at Liquid Church by Pastor Tim Lucas. LiquidChurch.com, living water for a thirsty world. Well, thousands of clothes and other items are given out to the poor and needy in Morristown today. The giveaway was sponsored by the Liquid Church of Basking Ridge. It's called a free market outreach. Everything is literally free, and the line for it is down the block. New or nearly new clothes, furniture, electronics, and more are being given out to needy residents at Morristown's Green. I donated children's clothes. I'm a nanny for four children, and we had a lot of clothes, and I said, hey, we're trying to do an outreach to let people know that we care and love them and um, just show them Christ's love. 450 members of the Liquid Church of Basking Ridge organized this giveaway. They originally planned to fill only one truckload full, but ended up filling three. We came up with a concept of a free market, which is different than a flea market. At a flea market, people give away, you know, they, they bring their junk and try to get overpriced, you know, uh, uh, money for it. And we want to bring, have a free market where people bring their best and give it away for free. More than 550 families were given tickets beforehand, and they were given first crack at the free market for an hour before it was open to the public. Maribel Santos was the first one online and got herself a home entertainment system. A CD player, a DVD player, a receiver, and um, a tape cassette. Wow, so you really cleaned up today. Yeah, I needed all that stuff, too. <laughs> so what do you think of this, this giveaway? This is beautiful. This is beautiful. This is awesome. This is a blessing. The church collaborated with other area organizations like Habitat for Humanity and the Salvation Army. They all worked together, they say, to identify the neediest people in the community. All right, well, we are three weeks away from our free market on Sunday, May 24th, that is Memorial Day weekend, as we move from our seats to the streets to serve our neighbors in need, in need of actually a little love and extra support during the economic downturn. Uh, as you may have heard, we are partnering with social service agencies at each of our campuses to identify 500 families who are living at or below the poverty line. And the idea here is that we're going to spend the weekend just serving and loving on them, honestly. It's a free market, and we're asking our whole church to bring their best and give it away for free. Yeah, anything goes, anything but clothes, I should say. Really, toys, cribs, strollers, sports stuff. Throw that slide back up here. I want to show you a little bit of the, some of the things that people are bringing in here. We had somebody bring in an entire crib set, and that's going to be awesome for single-parent families. We had someone actually drop off rollerblades with the helmet and wrist guards and all that stuff this, this week. That's pretty cool. We're not looking for huge stuff. What we're looking for is stuff that's maybe on the fringe of your possessions, but that you could give to bless a family that's in need. Electronics, small furniture, someone brought in a, a little kid's desk and, and chairs that matching that go with it. And that's the idea there, guys. Basically, anything but clothes, because when we piloted this three years ago, that was a nightmare to sort and clean and everything. But what we're doing is bringing our best and giving it away for free to local families who are living on the fringe. This is really an example of modern-day gleaning. We learned that last week. We took our inspiration, actually, from Deuteronomy chapter 24, where God instructed his people. He said this, When you're harvesting in your field and you overlook a sheaf, do not go back to get it. Leave it for the alien 
the fatherless and the widow, so that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. In other words, God's like, hey, I've given you a big, big harvest, guys, but don't assume it's all for yourself. I've been generous to you so that you can be generous to those who are living on the fringe in your community. If you remember my expert powers of artistry, I drew for you in a developing world, most fields are actually uh, in a rectangular fashion like this, but when they harvest them, they actually go around in a circle like this. And so basically God is saying, hey, when you're harvesting your stuff in the middle, I want you to leave what's on the corners, what's on the edges. I want you to leave Whatever is on the fringe from your field. I want you to leave all of that for people who have nothing. For widows, for orphans, for the alien, for the homeless. And he says, as you give that to them, it's going to be like they're receiving it from my hand. And it's really a beautiful picture. Because it was God's way of teaching his people to have a what? Have a heart. To have a heart that beats with the compassion of his own heart towards those who are most vulnerable in society. Um, I don't know what you've heard, but uh, one of the main principles of the Christian faith is that we are blessed so we can have it all for ourselves. No. We are blessed to be a blessing for other people, for people who are lacking. When God prospers us materially, it's not so that we can be the end user. Rather, we give out of our abundance to those in our community who are living on the edge. In the Old Testament, that's sometimes referenced as the widows and the orphans. In our context, it might be single-parent families who are just struggling to get by. And the idea here is the meaning of gleaning is to give out of the heart of what God's given to us. So on Sunday, May 24th, at both campuses, we are leaving the building. Do not come to church. The church is leaving the building. We're taking over the green in Morristown Monument Square in New Brunswick for a full day of serving and loving on our neighbors. So just as a reminder, uh, those of you who are wondering, what is the stuff I can bring? When can I drop it off? Everything is listed on liquidchurch.com. Anything but clothes, everything you can donate. And when you can drop it off. We put the times up there as well. If you brought stuff with you today, you can drop it off after the service. We have pods at both of our campuses. Just talk to your campus pastor. I'll give you the details of that. Um, But we're also hoping you will sign up to serve. Because we want the majority of us to be serving on Memorial Day weekend together. We want to kick off the summer by doing something big that gets us out of the seats and into the streets so we can actually be the church on a local level and show God's love to our neighbors in a very, very practical way. So that's the details. And uh, I'll be honest with you at this moment, just totally go off script here. I was going to... um, Go more into this in today's message, but I just got to be honest with you. God totally derailed today's message before I even got to set a pen to paper to write it. Um, See, last Wednesday, I went to my local library to work on the message. That's how I usually do that. I kind of go on Wednesdays there. I I read over my scripture, kind of meditate, flesh it out, got an outline. I start scripting out. And typically, Wednesdays for me is a day kind of spent in isolation and just me and my notes. And, uh, but I got to the library. As I started setting this stuff down the table, I saw across the library a familiar face. I actually saw the face of a man at one of our local campuses who comes regularly. I knew his face actually for more than just on Sunday. He serves on one of our, our service teams. Um, I'll call him John. You'll find out for a reason for that. You'll figure that out in a minute. Um, and while John was sitting at the table across from mine, he, he, we didn't make eye contact because he had headphones on. He was looking at a, a computer and he had headphones on, and he just had this big smile across his face as he looked in that computer screen, just kind of nodding, and he kept like looking out the window, just smiling. 
And I figured, you know, he's watching YouTube or something funny. So, and then all of a sudden he saw me, and so I went over to say hi, and we got talking, and John began telling me his story. And, uh, and I said, hey, what's up, man? I said, I know, I've seen you here before in the library. And, uh, and he said, well, it's like a second home uh, to me. And I said, dude, I know. I spend a lot of time here, too. And uh, he goes, no, no, no I'm, I mean, it's like a second home to me. And I didn't quite understand, and he leaned in. And he said, well, Pastor Tim, most people at church don't know this, but I'm homeless. And uh, I took that in stride, but inside I was really shocked because I'd talked casually with John before and, uh, and knew he was going through some hard times, and, um, but I did not grasp the magnitude of what he was facing. And to be perfectly honest, he's not at all what you might expect. I think a lot of people have um, stereotypes of homeless folks, you know, like uh, someone, you know, kind of begging on the street or living in a cardboard box, maybe addicted to drugs or alcohol, and, and, and maybe sometimes that's accurate, but not my friend John, <laughs> just, just the opposite. So you wouldn't even be able to pick him out of a lineup. You'd expect the opposite. He is dressed impeccably. He is clean-shaven. He not drugs or booze. He's a committed believer who serves faithfully at Liquid Church every week. And he shared his story with me. For the last few years, he's been the primary caregiver to uh, his mother, who is, who, is, who is elderly, and she actually passed away last winter. And uh, John used a lot of his savings to care for her, and when she died and everything was liquidated, most of what he had was lost to his sisters, who, uh, I haven't spare you all the details on it, but, but they pretty much screwed him out of things, okay? And, um, and a disability has left John unable to work, and that, because that's why he was caring for his mom. And he said, Tim, I'm, I'm not what you think of when you think of someone who's homeless. I mean, no one ever plans to be homeless. But when it happens, and he just got this faraway look in his eyes, and, uh, and he said, I want to be honest with you. He said, when you're homeless, little things all of a sudden become a big deal on a daily basis. He said to me, um, one of the most humiliating things of this past year was spending days in the winter wondering when I would get my next change of underwear. That's the kind of things you think about. He said, my prayers actually got very simple this past year. They began becoming, God, please provide a warm place to stay tonight. And uh, he described how the winter months were the hardest for him. Basically, he's like the routine is you, you, you check into a shelter, you have to get up by 7 a.m. and get out. And you basically spend the rest of the day figuring out what you're going to eat and then where you're going to stay that night. That's actually why he was in the library, because it's clean, it's safe, it has bathrooms, and he gets to use the Wi-Fi for free. And, um, well, they sort out his legal stuff. And my, 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 my heart just kind of broke last Wednesday. Because it's a story of great hardship for my, for my brother, for your brother. And I was like, dude, I, and in spite of all this, I go, you haven't lost, lost your faith. And, and he was like, oh, why? His eyes kind of lit up. He said, why, why would I lose my faith? He goes, why? God answers my prayers every day, Tim. You, like, today, there's a reason you're here. I said, uh, what do you mean? He said, oh, look. And he showed me what he was looking at the computer screen. It was Psalm 136, 139, verse 16. He said, look at this verse. It says, all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. And he looked at me and he said, I was just sitting here meditating on that. That God knew everything that would happen in my life. I have a heavenly father who loves me, knows everything that's going to happen to me, what's happening to me right now, where he's going to take me. But he has days ordained for me. He has dreams. He has plans for me, Tim. And even though maybe I'm at the bottom now, there's a lot ahead 
and I have a father who's leading me. And uh, I kind of gulped. I said, so, I said, when I was looking at you before, you had the headphones, I saw you smiling, kind of laughing here. I go, is this what you were smiling about? He goes, it's an amazing thought, isn't it? That's why I come to the library. I can meditate on scripture. And when I thought of that, that not one of the days of my life is a mistake. My prayer this morning was very simple. Father, don't let me waste one day. Don't let me waste one day. He said, I got to tell you, Tim, it's, 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 that's a hard prayer, especially when you're homeless. Because I don't really have anything to offer except me. And I was kind of struck dumb. Because I'm sitting there in the library with my friend, with your brother in Christ, John. And realizing that's the face of those who are on the fringe. The fringe has a face. What John taught me last Wednesday is that the fringe has a very personal face. See, I think sometimes we do a great disservice when we talk about the poor. Uh, in a way, we sin through our ignorance. We do, I do. Assuming that the poor are kind of those people, they're kind of over there at a distance, and, and maybe we can help them, but not really rub shoulders in a real way. And yet the poor are not those people. They're, they're not a number or a statistic or an abstraction. They are real people with real stories and real lives. Like my brother John. They're people with hurts and hopes and, and, and heartaches and faith. Incredible faith. I mean, in some ways, understand this, more faith than you or I have because they know what it truly means to actually depend on God for everything. I mean, when was the last time you prayed for a clean change of underwear? When was that in your prayers last time, right? I'm like, I have no point of reference. And yet these are the kind of concerns our friends on the fringe have on a daily basis. Everyday stuff. Water to drink, where to stay, what to eat. It's a big deal. It's called subsistence. And yet so many exude an incredible attitude of gratitude in spite of it all because they receive life one day at a time as a literal gift from their heavenly father. I mean, for John, for all he'd been through, I was honestly like thinking how easy it would have been for him to kind of be thinking, man, life is terrible. It's random. No one cares. No one's washing. I'm all alone. What happened to me is terrible. And yet, here he is holding on to God's promise. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. He looked me in the eyes and he said, this, this wasn't part of my plan, Tim. It wasn't part of my plan. But God knew what I'd be through. And I, I'm trusting him. And he's been with me every step of the way. And he's used what has happened to me to make me who I am. And I don't want to waste one day. Guys, in two Sundays from now, when we step out of our seats and onto the streets to love and serve our neighbors and eat at the free market... My friend John, our brother in Christ, is who we'll be serving. That's the face of the fringe today. I know many of us, myself included, I, I'm at the front of the line, we lead in fairly insulated lives, yes? But many of our brothers and sisters are a bad break away, actually, from the fringe. I mean, a job loss, a family crisis, a major illness. Now, look. If you're not, you can thank God. But God's given you a role to play, and that is to serve out of all he's given those who are living on the edge. That's the meaning of gleaning. And John is the face of who will be serving. Now, those social service agencies, they're going to help identify the people at or below the poverty line. But don't forget that each one has a face. Each one has a story. Each one is infinitely precious. 
a beloved son or daughter of the Most High God, even though they are on the fringe, they are central to God's heart. And so, they must be to ours. See, this series, if you haven't figured it out by now, is called Love Dub for a reason. Cardiologists say that when a human heart is beating properly, that's the sound it makes. Lub dub, lub dub, lub dub. It's not pitter patter, it's lub dub. As it pumps through the body. Strong, lub dub, and steady, lub dub. Sometimes I think in our little modern world, our heart tends to flatline when it comes who are those in need who are closest to us. In our city across the street, they're invisible, they blend in. We don't notice. Worse, don't care, unless it's like God takes the paddles and he goes, <clears throat> and he shocks our heart back to life and saying, Labdub, Labdub, this is why I saved you. This is what your faith is about. That's what God did to my own heart last Wednesday. He knew, you don't need to read anymore, Tim. I need to warm up the paddles and <clears throat> shock you back to life at two in the afternoon. I mean, how many of you personally know a brother or sister who is truly in need? I mean, on a, on a substantive level. And yet the whole purpose of our faith is to grow in the love of Christ. That is to have a heart that beats more and more steadily with compassion for those that God cares most about and to spend ourselves in their service. The Apostle James asks this. He says, What good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save him? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to him, Go, I wish you well. Keep warm and well-fed, but there's nothing about his physical needs. What good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is, what's the word? Dead. That is flatlined. The free market is all about faith in action. And folks, I can't wait to get out there. I can't wait to get out there and serve together. My, my, my friend John is going to be there, actually, not just to, to, to glean, but to serve as well. He's like, I can't wait to serve some of my brothers and sisters on the street. Because the spirit of the day is supposed to be a reflection of the kingdom of God, which makes no distinction between social or economic status. That's a beautiful thing about this. But rather, in Christ, we have a new set of lenses. We actually view one another as equals. Each of us are actually beggars when it comes to God's grace. We're just one beggar showing another where to find bread to find Jesus. Amen? It's interesting, but in the Bible, poverty is mentioned more than 2,100 times. That's, that's a lot of air time, okay? <laughs> and if you spend time with people in need, you find yourself surprised. Because I think we tend to assume that people who are living on the fringe, whether that's across the sea in Africa or across the street here in New Jersey, we assume that maybe they're downcast or embittered or live a joyless life. But on my trip to Africa last month, Colleen and I discovered the opposite is true. (laughs) In Ethiopia, the people shocked me (laughs) by how joy-filled and actually content they are. They do not suffer from an acute sense of what they're missing. They're not like, oh, the new J. Crew catalog is out and all my stuff is like old now. They don't think that. There's no grumbling over the basics. We don't have what. They're a humble people who are joyful dare I say, celebratory in spirit. I showed you this uh, our first week. Every time Colleen and I entered a village, they would throw a party. There's no other way to describe it. They would meet us with clapping and cheering. They would bring out their best food, very humbling, blow the trumpets. The whole village would come and sing and dance to welcome us. Before we could even see the well, we had to dance. I showed you my bad kind of dancing moves there. And they threw a party at every village. We would eat together. We would drink coffee and, and eat like a first course and a second course. And 
When you do seven villages in a row, it starts getting to you. And I remember saying, no, no more. I, I can't eat any more. I'm in Ethiopia saying, I can't eat any more because they're party animals there. <laughs> but that's the spirit of joy, of laughter, of celebration. That's the spirit God desires whenever we reach out to serve our brothers and sisters in Christ's name. And that's not just me hyping it up. God has ordained it this way from the beginning of time. Again, let me go old school, Old Testament to show you what I mean. Take out your Bibles. We're kind of blowing off the dust of antiquity from the Old Testament here to reveal what's God's heart behind this. So let's do this. As you open your Bibles, let's allow our friends in Africa to teach us something about the ancient practice of partying. Hey guys, what's going on? Today we're going to look at actually the Old Testament practice of partying. And that sounds kind of funny, but take a look at this. I want you to turn in your Bible, if you would, to Deuteronomy chapter 14. We're going to look at verse 22 here, because a lot of times, if you're like me, the Old Testament feels like kind of irrelevant or obscure. Quiet, guys. <laughs> we're actually going to uh, take a look at this and really see what we can learn. Here's something very, very interesting you may not have known. In the Old Testament, God's people were told to tithe. Now, you and I think about that and we're like, oh, here comes a money talk. No, 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 get out of your mind. Think about a party talk. Watch this. Deuteronomy 22 says this. It says, be sure to set aside a tenth of all your fields produce every year. So in other words, God says, give me a tenth of everything that your fields produce. Eat the tithe of your grain. Here in Ethiopia, they have a lot of grain. They do wheat, they do barley, they do roasted corn. Now, in the Old Testament, when God's people tithed, a lot of it went to partying. I'm dead serious. They would bring out their best food. And as you can see right here in northern Ethiopia, that includes a number of grains. This is roasted corn. Is that right? Got that right? Sure, this is potatoes. Churro is something they eat actually during the fasting season, but they would bring out their best and really party. And it was a celebration. It was a celebration that God gave to them. And so they wanted to give back part of it and really celebrate and say, everything we have is literally from the hands of God. And actually God says, set aside a tenth of it and give it back to me. He says this, take your new wine, your oil, and the firstborn of your herds and flocks in the presence of the Lord your God at the place he will choose as a dwelling for his name so that you may learn to revere the Lord your God always. Basically, what he was telling people was that in an agrarian society, you take the best of what you have. This guy, hey, come here, buddy. Okay, oh, easy, easy, relax, relax, it's all right. Take your firstborn, it's okay, buddy and actually give him, sacrifice him. So these guys, you'd pick your firstborn. That meant your best one, the ones without a flaw, the ones that are perfect. And that's the one you would sacrifice and give back to God. It was a way of saying, we offer our best back to you, God, because everything we have comes from your hands and it comes, lub-dub, from your heart. But verse 24, but if the place is too distant, you've been blessed by your God and you can't carry your tithe, um, then exchange your tithe for silver and take the silver with you and go to the place your Lord God will choose. Use, use, <laughs> this is a sacred moment. <laughs> May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word. Uh, buy whatever you like. It literally says this. Watch. It says, buy cattle, sheep, wine, or other fermented drink, or anything you wish. So in other words, God says, I want you to take your tithe, your best cow, your best goats, your best grain. That's okay. You're right in it. And I want you to buy the best. And I want you to have a party. Get fermented drink. Get beer. Get wine. Get your livestock. And I want you to slaughter those. And he says this. At the end of every three years... 
Bring all the tithes of that year's produce and store it in your towns so that your, the Levites who have allotment or inheritance and the aliens, the fatherless and the widows who live in your towns may come and eat and be satisfied and so the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. That's weird to us, but here in Ethiopia, this is an agrarian culture. 85% of their economy is based on farming. And so to actually give up your firstborn, to give up your prized cattle or your prized goat, this one's a little bit better. He's, he's tolerating me a little bit more. It's a big deal to sacrifice. But God says, that's what I want you to do. I want you to have a party. Take your tithe, take your choice grain, your choice cattle, your wine, and party. Blow the sacred trumpet and bring together the fatherless and the widows. In other words, bring the most vulnerable together at the foot of the mountain, and together we're going to party. What he's saying is this. When you do that, when you tithe, when you sacrifice, in my name, love dove, it's about the heart of God. It's about compassion. And when people gave up all that in the Old Testament, and they came together, and the widows, and the fatherless, and the farmers, and the people who owned land, the people who were slaves, they called it all off, and they partied. They partied with their tithe at the foot of Mount Horeb. And it was like this sacred kind of bacchanal. I don't want to give it too much there because they were actually God's people, but they literally did. They sacrificed their animals. They sacrificed everything because they said all of it, it's from God's hands. And my God is a generous God and he is a compassionate God. Can you hear his heartbeat? Lub dub, lub dub. Okay, who is ready to party? Can I hear it? If you are ready to party, party people. Because that's what we're going to do on Sunday, May 24th at the free market. And we're taking our cue directly from God's word here in Deuteronomy. I don't know if you caught this. Did you catch this? That that's God's original purpose for tithing was to throw a gigantic party. I mean, that's kind of crazy to me. Every year, God's people brought one-tenth of all their earnings. Think about this. This is one-tenth of an entire nation's GDP. And they brought it to the foot of Mount Zion. And it wasn't used to pave a bigger parking lot. It wasn't used to print more bulletins. It was not used to uh, build an education wing. It was to throw a gigantic party. I mean, look at this. Deuteronomy 14, 26. God, the words from his mouth. He says, use the silver to buy whatever you like. Cattle, sheep, wine, or other fermented drink, or anything you wish. That is, God instructs the Israelites. He says, take all of your tithe and throw a party with the best food. What kind of food? What, what does God want served here? Take a look, right? Cattle, fermented drink, basically steak and ale, okay? I'm serious. He's like, order off the menu. Have the Kobe beef. Have a glass of red with it. Enjoy. And then what? Then you and your household shall eat there in the presence of the Lord, your God, and what's the word? Rejoice. In other words, rejoice. Eat up, drink up, sing, clap, make music. In other words... Have a party. And the celebration at the foot of Mount Zion was anything but a bore, okay? I mean, who wouldn't want to go to that church? <laughs> you walk into church like, all right, so what are we doing with our tithes today? Um, filet mignon, we've got a nice pour over here. We have a keg of Stella. Anything you wish. And uh, here's the message from God today. It's party time. I mean, this is the Old Testament. That's what God wanted to instill in his people. But notice, this is a party with a purpose. In other words... Who did God instruct to invite to this party? Look at verses 28 and 29. Bring all the tithes of that year's produce and store it in your towns so that who? Let's read it together. The aliens, the fatherless, and the widows who live in your towns may come and eat 
and be satisfied. God says there's one caveat to this party. Be sure to make the guests of honor those who are living where? On the fringe. Do you get in this? Do you see an emerging theme here? You see the picture God's painting. Everybody was invited from widows who hadn't had a fun night out for years to poor kids who uh, couldn't come up with the ticket money for whatever was the ancient equivalent of Disneyland. <laughs> Prostitutes, tax collectors invited to the party. So what if their reputations were questionable? When it's a really good party, you guys know this, you just forget all that stuff. And for one day of the year, it made no difference to God's people what social or economic class you were a part of. Because the rich danced with the poor at the foot of the mountain of God. The, the management and labor, they clinked glasses and said, cheers. And the educated priests and the illiterate prostitutes partied together. It was crazy. And here's the deal. If you're wondering what all this partying was about, let me tell you. The party was and is about the kingdom of God. Get this. It had been planned by God to be a foretaste of what he has in mind for all of us when his kingdom comes on earth as it is in heaven. In other words, guys, life may be hard. It may be full of troubles. But in the midst of it all, God says, set aside a tithe, a full 10% of your harvest, what I've blessed you with, and throw a party that will remind everyone of what God has in store for us in heaven. In his excellent book, The Kingdom of God is a party. Author and theologian Tony Campola writes this. He says, the scriptures tell us to spend all this money for partying because it's in partying that we know a little something about the kind of God we have. He is not some kind of transcendental Shylock demanding his pound of flesh. He is not some kind of deistic chairperson of the universe. Our God is a party deity. He loves a party. If you don't believe me, then just pay attention to what his son Jesus had to say about his father's kingdom. What did Jesus have to say? Well, he taught that God's kingdom, when it comes, most closely resembles a party. Matthew 22, Jesus says this. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepared a what? A wedding banquet for his son. And he sent his servants to those who had been invited to the banquet to tell them to come, but they refused to come. So catch this. Jesus is telling the parable. He's like, God sent his servants to gather people, uh, and they wouldn't come. So he sent them out then to the street corners and out in the country. In other words, then he sent them out to people who were living on the fringe to invite them and tell them to come to the party because that's what the kingdom of God's going to be like, guys. It's a wedding feast of the Lamb in heaven where pastors and prostitutes, whoever so shall come, dine together. Not because they deserve it or one of them earned it, but because the king sacrificed his son so that everybody gets a seat at the table. That's heaven. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Heaven is a place of raucous celebration. I tell you, said Jesus, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And now we're not even talking economic poverty, but spiritual poverty, which kind of levels the playing field, doesn't it? All of a sudden, whoa. See, when you begin to grasp the sheer generosity of the Father's heart, you begin viewing people in need through a different lens. It's not about, hmm, do they deserve it, or maybe they should earn it, but it's about the Father's generosity to rich people, to poor people, to sinners, and to saints. For me, one of the most enduring images of the New Testament is from Jesus' story about two lost sons. You guys remember this, right? The one who follows the rules at home and his younger brother who literally demands his inheritance goes off and squanders the whole thing in wild living, right? 
He literally had the family fortune. He throws it all away and becomes so poor, he can't even eat what the pigs are eating, right? I mean, it's a picture of a guy who hits rock bottom. He had all the blame lies squarely at his feet. And when that son returns home to his father, who is a stand-in for our heavenly father, he begins practicing his speech, right? My father, I'm not worthy to be called uh, one of his... And how does the father respond? You guys remember this? With a lecture about being irresponsible? With a chiding finger or scolding tongue? No. To the shock of everyone watching, the father said to his servants, quick, bring, bring, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a, put a ring on his finger and he puts, put sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a what? Feast and celebrate. What is God's response according to Jesus? He throws a party. Yeah, they kill the fattened calf. Angus burgers for everyone. Put a little Jay-Z on the turntable. Verse 24 says simply, so they began to celebrate. The King James Version renders this, and they began to make merry. I love that, that picture. Again, because the kingdom of God is a party. And you may object to that theological image because it seems frivolous or maybe a little bit irreverent, but if you do, you're actually in good company with others in the Bible. Uh, they're called Pharisees. Um, and in Jesus' story... When the father tries to throw the party for his penniless son, the older brother objects. There's always an older brother in every church service, isn't there? He's like party schmarty. Usually he gets chosen to chair the board of elders. But when this older brother objects, he says, I've been here all these years playing by the rules and you've never thrown me one party. And the father replies, don't you understand? We had to what? Celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Friends, we serve a God who has a father's heart and he loves to party. He rejoices whenever someone who is poor, whether spiritual or economic, comes to him humbly and simply admits he's in need because life on earth is hard. And Jesus created the church because he wanted a people for himself who would bring joy and laughter and celebration to people who have only known hardship and humiliation and hurt. That's why the church exists. Jesus painted these pictures to stir our soul on earth. And it's only fitting that we replicate the celebrations that take place in heaven whenever we put the generosity of our Father on display here on earth. As I've been meditating on these scriptures, I have come to the conclusion, this is a big theological conclusion, um, Christians are known for a lot of things, yes? Some good, some bad. But above all else, I believe, Christians should be known as the people who throw the best parties wherever they go. Wherever they go, the party should follow. As Campola writes, whenever Christians party, they provide a foretaste of what is to come. Whenever they celebrate with laughter and song, they evangelize. They send out the message that the kingdom of God is at hand and the kingdom of God is a wonderful party. That's why God told his people, collect all your tithes, put it at the foot of Mount Zion and throw a party that blurs all the lines and invite those on the what? On the fringe. That's, that's why Jesus was accused, by the way, of being a drunkard and a glutton by his enemies because he spent time with people who were living on the fringe of his culture. And he announced the good news to them that regardless of what they'd done, regardless of, of what you had, each one of you is rich. That was his message. You are truly rich. You are loved by your Father in heaven. 
He has forgiven your sins. He has canceled your debts. He's saying, come home, come home. You have a seat at the banquet table of God. And it's no wonder the poor people, those on the fringe, heard Jesus' message. They said, good news. (laughs) Because when Jesus preached, it was party time. Yes? Amen? On May 24th, as our church leaves the building to serve those living on the fringe in the love of Christ, we can declare this together. I'll ask you together. Ready? Liquid Church, what time is it? It is party time. Excellent. (laughs) And if that idea scandalizes you, you take it up with Jesus, okay? (laughs) Not me. For heaven's sake, his first miracle is turning water into wine. Why? So the party can continue. It's a foretaste of what's what's in store in heaven for everyone who calls on his name. And that's why at our free market Memorial Day weekend, we are going to pull out all the stops for our friends who are on the fringe. Because those are our brothers and sisters, and we're going to be serving scores of men, women, and children, quite honestly, who are loved by God and have stories that are unique as my friends John. And it's going to have a party atmosphere. Um, I hope you guys are all right with this, but our our church is blowing some cash on this. Uh, We are going to have free food. Um, We are not going to be serving filet mignon or or have a a keg of beer. But that would be pretty cool. Uh, we will be serving uh, cotton candy, popcorn, snow cones, and of course, water, all the stuff you uh, kind of expect at a, at a festival-type atmosphere. We really want this to be a gift to our city, like a big wet kiss to them. So we are bringing in games for kids. We're going to have a bounce house, face painting, all sorts of fun stuff, great music. We're going to kind of make a, a joyful noise in the center of each of our city, kind of celebrating. And here's the deal. We need you to sign up to serve. We literally need people who are going to take the time to, uh, to actually paint those faces of those kids, to run the stuff. And actually, the only agenda is love, right? No strings attached. That's the agenda. We're not trying to convert anybody. That, remember, love is not calculating. It's not proud. We're not acting like we're doing some big charity by offering our hand-me-downs, okay? If that's your attitude, don't sign up to serve. You keep your pride and your arrogance, and you go throw your own party. But this is God's party. And only those who are willing to assume the humble posture of a servant are welcome. Because the poor are our brothers and our sisters, and we actually have much to learn from them, yeah? See, that's, that's, the, that's the lesson God burned into my heart from my lunch with John last week. God sent him to teach me. See, when I ran into John, I'd been turning over this idea in my head that the, wherever the Spirit of God is, there's a spirit of freedom. That is a party spirit. There's joy. And, and when I saw John in the library, I, there, were, there was joy in his eyes too, just thinking and looking out that window. And as I was putting away my message notes and just spent time listening to my brother, I realized God was giving me a gift. He was closing all of my theological commentaries and bringing John into my life to disciple me, to teach me firsthand what life on the fringe looks like in real time. Not just an abstraction, but real time. I mean, talk about a divine appointment. That wasn't an accident. God tabbed my brother John to school me so I could pass it along to you. And so literally as I sat there, I was like, well, oh my gosh, for heaven's sakes, this is, this is Wednesday at two in the afternoon and I'm in the presence of Jesus. <laughs> so, so, I, so I thought, you know, I was like, I was like, you know, forget the sermon. He's like, you got work to do. I was like, forget the sermon, dude. Uh, it's party time. And I said, do you want to ditch work? He's like, well, I don't really, I'm not working right now. He's like, well, let me, you want to ditch my work? We'll go grab lunch. You want, you want to grab lunch? He's like, yeah, that'd be great. I was like, why don't we go across the street to Subway? And, uh, and it's funny because John actually said, um, yeah, that's cool. Maybe we could go somewhere else. And then I realized, of course, because he usually goes, you know, Subway, $5 sandwiches, whatever. I was like, it's party. It's about extravagance, generosity of God. So I said, let's go somewhere good. 
So we got out of the library, we jumped in my truck, and we drove a couple towns over to this gourmet restaurant that I've taken Colleen to. It's actually really nice. They have outside dining. And we didn't have a crummy Subway sandwich for lunch. We had fresh salmon. (laughs) And we enjoyed a leisurely lunch for two or three hours, just hanging out, two brothers talking. And it was amazing because John schooled me about the hidden world of the homeless, about where they go when it rains, about the the refuge in the church up the street where they let you get your mail and they let you get a cup of coffee, how the bus routes work, because when the weather's inclement, that's, that's where sometimes we go to stay out of the rain. A whole world invisible to me previously that I have... I have no rightful idea about. And as I sat there, I realized I'm having lunch with Jesus. Because Matthew 25 says, I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. So after lunch, I was like, dude, let's just hang. Let's, let, let's stay. Let's get coffee and dessert. And he's like, um, no, thanks, actually. I'm uh, fasting for Africa. And I said, right, 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 of course, right, of course. But we had an incredible afternoon together. And the good news is that John is actually on his feet. He has found a room to rent that's right outside of town. So I drove him home, dropped him off. He showed me his place. It's nothing fancy. It's a basement. You enter through the garage. He had an air mattress on the floor. It's a small bathroom. But he was so thankful. He kept saying, this is all I have, praise God. It's from him. I don't, it's, I'm not sure my next step, but I'm so thankful for what I do have. And he's like, I'm hoping to get a few other furnishings and stuff. And I'm like, dude, maybe the free market actually might have some of what you're looking for. But that's how God's word smacked me in the face on Wednesday at 2 in the afternoon and derailed my little plans because God wanted to tutor me about the fringe through his servant, John, his beloved son, John. You understand this? I don't, I don't regard him as my homeless friend, John. He's just John. He's just my friend, your brother in Christ. And it's a privilege to be part of a church where we can worship together and learn from one another and party together and meet each other's needs. John gave me way more that afternoon than I could ever offer him. So what do you say? On Sunday, May 24th, who wants to come to a party? Because you're all invited. Did you know that? This is a party with a purpose because it's more than charity. This is more than humanitarian work. It is a literal living out of our faith in Christ Jesus. 2 Corinthians 8 says this. It says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was what? He was rich, yet for your sakes he became what? Poor. So that you, through his poverty, might become rich. That's why we're fasting. For our brothers and sisters across the world in Africa. That's why we are gleaning for our brothers and sisters across the street here in New Jersey. And that's why together we're partying, because we want to beat with the Father's bulging heart for a world in need. And as we spend ourselves serving them, we imitate who? His son Jesus, what he did for us. That's what being a Christian is all about. If you are not a believer, you are maybe visiting today for the first time, maybe you have never embraced Christianity because it's associated with all sorts of crap. It's associated with all sorts of things we're against and politics and all that judgment and religious pride, all sorts of stuff. Reality is this here, nothing else. It is about humility. It is about joy. Acknowledging that in the light of who our Father is, I am the one who's poor. And I need someone to help me, to love me, to pay my debts and save me. That's why Christ died for us. On the cross, he who was rich became poor, paid the price for our debts so that we could be forgiven 
reconciled to our Father, step inside the party, and experience a Spirit-filled life, life to the full. Maybe you have never acknowledged your need to your Father, and today's your day. It's funny, but in Jesus' parable, um, the father goes outside and he pleads with the older brother to come in because he's he's like, come on, celebrate, sing, dance, join the party. But the older brother stands there like this, arms crossed, frozen, suspicious of the generosity of God. I don't know. You know what that's a picture of? That is a picture of a proud, self-sufficient person being the one who's now on the fringe. Have you acknowledged that you're on the fringe and ever stepped inside the party formally? All it takes is humility and saying yes to God's invitation. If you've never done that before, I want to give you the chance to do that today, to have a fresh start this spring. Let's just bow our heads in prayer. All of our campuses, bow our heads, close our eyes. If you have never prayed to put your faith in Christ and this, this Jesus who gave his life out of love for you, you can pray along with me. In fact, let's do this. All of our campuses, let's actually everybody pray out loud together. We're going to affirm what we believe, okay? So just pray after me. Jesus, I believe you became poor, came to my world, died on a cross in my place to pay for my debt. And you counted it a joy. You did it out of love. And I want to follow you. Come into my life. Be my God. I want a life of beauty. Of meaning. I'm giving my all to serve you. And those you put in my path. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hey, if you prayed that prayer for the first time, I want to welcome you. I want to say welcome to the party. Can we hear it for those who are joining the party, maybe for the first time? Friends, this may be the day that your life literally moves from success to actual significance. Because nothing is more significant in God's eyes than being a voice for the voiceless and showing the Father's love to those who are on the fringe. Just as Jesus showed his love to us when we were the ones on the fringe. That's faith. That's Christianity. That's That's the party you have been invited to. It is unlike any party this world will ever throw because it's not about having the time of your life, but about giving the time to spend your life in the cause of something bigger than yourself. On Sunday, May 24th, Liquid Church, let us show the world what it is like to truly love. Amen? Liquid Church, what time is it? It is party time. Amen. God bless you guys. I will see you in the streets.